Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to the Businesses Influencer Marketing Podcast with your hosts, Jamie Lieberman and Danielle Liss. Each week, we will help you unlock the secrets of influencer marketing through interviews with leading professionals, and tips and tricks to help you scale your business. Sit back, grab a coffee, and let's talk all things influencer marketing. Hey there, this is Danielle. And this is Jamie. Welcome to episode 15 of the Businesses Influencer Marketing Podcast. Today, we are talking all about legal. We're going to call this our legal Ask Me Anything. I feel like this is like a housekeeping type of podcast today, right? And so in the theme of housekeeping, (laughs) I feel like we need to talk about what I spent my entire weekend doing, which was cleaning up all my kids' toys. That sounds like so much fun. Like, because you got to get rid of them too, right? I think you just like the organization aspect. I do. I do. I reorganized my pantry for the third time this month. So I get it. I hear you. So my family celebrates Hanukkah and we had a giant family Hanukkah party. And of course, they got all the toys. And I live in an apartment. So I had this moment, this housekeeping moment where I was this weekend where I was like, nope, that's it. We're done. And I made them clean for the entire day, which consisted of them cleaning for one minute, getting bored, laying on the ground with utter exhaustion and me putting everything into giant piles to give away. (laughs) And it was really cathartic. I won't lie. I think that's awesome. And I'm jealous. My son's birthday is just a few days before Christmas. So we have this massive influx of toys. And as you and everyone who follows me knows, he's in the dinosaur stage. There are dinosaurs everywhere. Everywhere. I think he's exceeded stage. I think this is a dinosaur life. (laughs) You know what? My stepkids have said, what are you going to do if he still likes dinosaurs when he's 15? And I'm like, at least I won't have to buy like a whole new set of toys at some point. Like, I mean, I'm sure it goes to what, like video games at that point. But yeah, there's they're everywhere. I love the consistency. My kids love something for a second. And then they're like, (laughs) nope, we're out. And hence why there were piles of crap all over my apartment. Oh, I understand. I understand. I assure you, there's a couple of dinosaurs that have had um, dinosaur surgery a few too many times, um, which is basically my husband and some glue. We we want to slowly phase 
some of these out because poor Dilophosaurus, his arm is, it's not staying for more than like 30 seconds. So, yeah. That reminds me of those Calvin and Hobbes comics where Calvin sits and watches as Hobbes is being washed in the washing machine. And I would imagine that your son (laughs) must be watching your husband glue in the same way, like waiting for the mm-hmm. dinosaur to be better. Yes, it's exactly it. He's waiting for dinosaur surgery to be done. And I think right now we have one to two dinosaurs who are awaiting arm reattachments. Is that sure? Reattachment surgery. Let's call it that. Um, we have a Carnotaurus and a Dilophosaurus who are just, they're having a rough time, really rough time. <laughs> <laughs> your, um, your pronunciation of those dinosaur names is impressive. Thank you. If I don't say them right, then I get in trouble. We watch a lot of YouTube videos because we're also at that age. If somebody mispronounces a dinosaur on them, he just looks at me. He's like, mommy, that person doesn't know their dinosaurs. (laughs) And he's like, we know our dinosaurs. (sighs) Yes, baby. We know our dinosaurs. We have no choice but to know our dinosaurs right now. That should be our new code. When we have someone (laughs) say something, I'll turn to you and go, Danielle, that person does not know their dinosaurs. (laughs) And I will... I will just ooze into a puddle of laughter. So that might not, if we're in public, that might not be a good idea. Although I really like it. (laughs) One of my best friends is Greek and she and her mom, when they want to, you know, talk about people in front of them, will just speak to each other in Greek. And I feel like that would be the same thing. (laughs) We could just use certain dinosaur names and just be like, oh, this person is being such a pachycephalosaurus. I do not know what to do right now. I I like our new code. (laughs) So back to our podcast housekeeping. I don't know if we should call it housekeeping so much as a wrap up, but Mm -hmm. basically we asked for legal questions in the Businesses HQ. Um, And in this episode, we're going to answer some of those questions. And we're also going to chat about a couple of other issues that we've been hearing a lot lately as we're ending 2017. When you said that, I honestly thought, but it's 2018. So I guess (laughs) I'm I'm done and I'm ready. So before we dive into this legal ask me anything, or maybe we should call it an ask us anything. I don't know if that's as trendy a title. Um, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Hashtag Legal. Hashtag Legal is a full-service law firm specializing in influencer marketing, social media, and service professionals. We offer a wide range of services, contract review and drafting, trademark and copyright registration and monitoring, FTC advice and disclosures, and full site reviews, including drafting site terms and conditions and privacy policies. Check us out at www.hashtag-legal.com. Okay, welcome back. Now let's dive into those questions. Question number one, do I need to disclose with the Facebook sponsored content tool? This isn't a great question, one that I keep hearing over and over, both in Facebook groups and at conferences. Recently, the FTC just had a chat where they answered an amazing amount of questions. I I actually have never heard the FTC answer so many questions. And this question came up. The question was asked of the FTC whether or not the sponsored content tools were enough, the Facebook or Instagram. Um, And the answer the FTC gave, which I don't know if it will continue to be, but for now is it's not. I don't, I think it's because the tools are so new So the FTC recommended that even if you are using the sponsor content tool, 
you should continue to use your hashtag ad or whatever hashtag that you're using or whatever your disclosure is, you should continue to use that on top of the sponsored content tool. I think it's so important. Just remember, everyone, just keep disclosing. It's it's not worth getting into that trouble. I think it's we're always looking for a way to not have to include those things. So make sure you are disclosing. And that's really our main advice that I think we can give when it comes to FTC is make sure you're being clear with your audience. Exactly. The clear and conspicuous should sort of always be in the back of your head. And I think by doing that, you're not going to run into an issue so long as your audience knows that whatever, whichever post is sponsored, it's clear. So our next question, I did a sponsored post a couple of years ago and I still promote it occasionally. Do I still have to disclose? The answer here and people don't love to hear this is yes, because that if your post still has that sponsored content listed on it, then it's still sponsored. Regardless of when the sponsorship was, a lot of people will say, I did this post like three years ago. I still promote, but they only paid me to promote it twice. So I only have to say that those two promotions were paid. Well, if you had to say it in the first two promotions, any promotion that you do after that should do some type of disclosure. Now, I will say that these are the cases where I love to do a natural language disclosure because you can easily say, a few years ago, I worked on an amazing campaign on behalf of X. Yeah, I love this post. I love this. If it's a recipe, I always go back to food. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> then you can say, I still think this content is really relevant and I thought you would enjoy it. It's a really good place where you can do a natural language disclosure and just bring it back to the fact that you this was previously done as campaign work. I'd also love to add that you can actually go back and check your contract to see if you have to maintain the sponsored the sponsored information in the post for the entirety of your website. Some contracts will allow you to sort of take some of those that sponsored language out and keep your post up. So if your contract allows for that, then certainly you wouldn't need to disclose anymore because it would no longer be sponsored. But so long as your sponsor's in there and it was and you continue to use the sponsor's name and you're required, then Danielle's answer is right on point. And I know not everyone wants to hear it, but it's okay. It's like we said for the first question, disclose, disclose, disclose. Agreed. Okay, now let's do question number three. This question comes from Abby at Plano Moms. If you have a Facebook group, which is related to your business, but isn't necessarily commercial and something legally risky is posted, what risk is there to your actual business? So for example, I'm a mom blogger and I have a big group of local moms who talk about all types of things, which could include local crime or medical questions. This is a great question. And this is actually a question we hear fairly frequently. And I'm glad people are thinking about this when they own Facebook groups. My biggest piece of advice is to have a pinned post. And in that pinned post in your Facebook group, you should have some of your rules for the group, which should include maybe not posting some of those legally risky questions. But also in there, you can include disclaimers, which essentially say, I am not responsible for anything that's posted. If there are any issues that you see as a user of my Facebook group, please email me or have a way that the users of your Facebook group can get in touch with you. So if there is an issue, you can be made aware. Once you're made aware, 
then you have to act. So the most important thing is as soon as you have knowledge of something that could be potentially risky for you, you need to do something about it. I'm not saying that you can live in willful ignorance because that doesn't work also. But so long as you know about it, you should be actively monitoring it. Just make sure that the things being posted in your group, you're managing, you should be okay. I think one other thing that you can do within that pin post is to mention that you're keeping the sole discretion to remove that content so that somebody doesn't come back to you and say, I posted that, it should stay up. Make sure you as the owner and admin are really clear that not only are you not responsible, but that you have the discretion to remove something if you don't agree with it or for any reason whatsoever. Totally agree. That's really important that you maintain that level of control and that the users in your group know that. Okay, let's jump to Question number four, which is from Alexa from the Girl in Healing website. Alexa asked us what content creators can do in a few different scenarios, including exclusivity, licensing, and assignments. This is a great question that comes up from time to time. So we want to clarify a few contract terms for everyone so that you're familiar with exactly what those terms mean and what it means for you as the content creator. So the first term that we want to talk about is exclusivity and what that means when you see that in a contract. For example, if you're a content creator and a brand comes to you and they want you to write about their amazing new line of wine, their wine, and in the contract, they have an exclusivity provision which says you are not allowed to work with any other company that makes alcoholic beverages. That would mean that that brand wants you to be exclusive to them for a certain amount of time where you're only posting about just their wine. You can't work with any beer companies, whiskey companies, anybody else. That would be a fairly broad exclusivity provision. And so our suggestion would be in that situation, if you are going to want to work with other spirit companies, that you would narrow that exclusivity provision to just not working with any competitors of theirs that work in the wine business. But when you're reading exclusivity, you have to look at what category of items or goods that you need to be exclusive to and for how long that you need to be exclusive to that company. Typically, it's during the, the term of the contract or maybe even a few months after, but you need to be aware of that language and what the exclusivity is. I would throw in here, don't be afraid to try to negotiate these because if it is too broad or you don't understand what might be included there, this is you need to know that this really impacts what you can and can't talk about. So make sure you understand or if you think it's too broad, ask for a change there. It's a really easy area to negotiate. That's great advice. Next, we're seeing a lot of stuff about likeness releases in contracts lately. We want to mention this. This wasn't one of the things that Alexa had specifically mentioned, but we think it's important because it's coming up so frequently. A likeness release is going to give a brand the ability to use your photo, your logo, whatever the case might be, and then your contract will have more specifics on what exactly it is that they're asking to use. And it's going to give them the ability to use that in some way. And usually, if they're really broadly worded, it will say, in all types of media, known and unknown, in perpetuity, which means forever, and it will say it's irrevocable. What you want to do here is make sure that you know exactly what they're using, 
how long they can use it for, and in what contexts and on what channels. So most of the time, we tell influencers, try to make sure this is narrow. You don't want to see your face on something five years from now. Tell them that it's during the term of the period of the promotion, that it has to be related to the promotion, that it can be just on digital channels, not in print, etc. So just make sure that this is narrow and that you understand where you are potentially going to be used for advertising. One thing that we're also seeing is people being asked to use the likeness for a longer period of time internally. If you see internally, that's usually not something that you need to panic about, that they want to use that for a more frequent period. That's something like an internal report. So this might be something that they float up to their management or that it's going to be used in a case study, something along those lines. Those I think you need to be less nervous about. Do you agree with that, Jamie? I totally agree. I I definitely see that a lot. The The biggest narrower that I see that makes the most sense is when you have the likeness release, like Danielle mentioned, is making sure that it's in connection with the campaign so that they can't repurpose your likeness for something completely different. I think that that was a really great point. And the internal one, I agree with you as well. So the last question that Alexa sort of asked us about was who owns the content? And this is a big question that is frequently asked. And the important thing for you to read about in your contract and know is when you create that content, do you still own the content? Does the brand own the content? And the way that you want to look at that is who owns the copyright or the intellectual property and then who's licensing it. So for example, if you continue to own the intellectual property to the post that you've created or whatever you've created for the brand, the brand will likely be licensing that content from you. And when you look at what that license is, look at the terms of that license. You need to see what they can do with it. Can the brand just display it? Can they do more with it? Are they allowed to republish it somewhere else? Can they turn it into something else, which is called making it a derivative work? So look at the terms of the license if you continue to own the copyright. Sometimes brands want to own the intellectual property to the post completely, which means you're selling them the rights to it. And then typically, if it's being posted on your website, you would get a license from the brand to just display it. So it's important you have an understanding of that relationship and the contract should really clearly lay that out. And I agree so much here. It's make sure it's specific because it can say that they can that they get a license to use it on their digital channels as long as there's attribution. Just make sure you understand what that says so that it's very clear to both you and the brand how that content can be used. Totally agree. Okay, question number five. I'm an expert over at the Food Blogger Pro website, and I do some assistance when legal questions come up in their forums. And I got a question that I have seen more and more of, and it kind of blows my mind every time I get it, like to the point where I'll email Jamie and be like, have you seen this one? And it varies a little bit with the brands that are using it. And yes, Jamie and I are nerds that will like send each other little legal tidbits that we see in the news. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, that's us. (laughs) But essentially, brands are stating in usually it's a terms page somewhere on their website that if you use certain hashtags, you are licensing your content to them. So just like we talked about with the licenses above, that they would be able to use it and have the rights to it. And that those they're asking for a really broad license, essentially saying that they can use the content however they want because a hashtag was used. These aren't always super specific hashtags. Um, Sometimes they're pretty generic. And I think that the average consumer who's using Instagram could potentially stumble upon it without even knowing. And really, they're assigning 
rights to something they're posting as a result. So, Jamie, what do you think of these? I'm utterly baffled. I, I don't know who came up with <laughs> this. I don't I can't fathom how many of these would be enforceable at all, particularly the really generic ones that you're talking about. It just I don't I don't get it. I could definitely see there could be a really narrowly tailored one or if an instance, if you are submitting something for a a contest in some way or it's just I don't get it, especially if the consumer or the creator or whoever's reusing the hashtag isn't getting anything in exchange for it. I'm lost by this one, to be really honest with you. We've both scratched our heads a lot about this. I agree. So one of the other examples that we've seen, and this is one that's coming up a lot, is when a brand will private message someone on Instagram and then tell them that if they respond to the message, not respond with yes or respond with a question or respond with no, but any response will also grant the same level of permission. Just like Jamie said, this one kind of blows our mind because this is, you are granting a lot of rights just through a response to a PM, basically. And if this happens, we just want to strongly caution you, please read the fine print to whatever page they are directing you to. The examples that we've seen so far are so broad, and they really are retaining the right to do whatever they want, whether it's to create a derivative work. I've seen one where they would They reserve the right to use that image in absolutely anything, which means you could see your Instagram photo in a magazine ad at some point. And so we just want to really caution you to be careful here. Yeah, I think the the advice to give to really read the fine print makes sense. Even if you're scroll, you're you know, you go to that page just looking for the rights that you're granting. It's just important you understand what could be done with your content Without seeing something specific, it's really hard for us to say whether or not it would even be enforceable. But in the off chance that someone has crafted something that might be, uh, it's just important to have an understanding of what it is that is at risk or is out there and could happen with your content. So we have one last question. Question six. I've seen a lot of recent discussion about cease and desist letters lately. We get a lot of emails about these too. So I think... Someone is asking us if we could talk about them. We're going to start with what a cease and desist letter is and when you might have reason to send one, because I think there's a lot of confusion as to what a cease and desist even is and what it means. A cease and desist is essentially sent anytime someone is misusing your intellectual property. And it's not just for intellectual property. You can send cease and desist for lots of reasons, but we're going to focus on the intellectual property aspect because that in our practice is typically where we see them most. Wouldn't you say, Danielle? I think so, especially just in the influencer space in general, copyright and trademark are really the big ones. So if you have a trademark that's registered uh, with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office and somebody starts using a trademark that's similar to yours and could be likely confusing to consumers, you have an obligation to send them a cease and desist asking that other party to stop using the trademark that could be confusing with yours. It can be done in a lot of different ways. Some people do them informally. Some people do them formally. Some people do them themselves. Some people hire a lawyer. It really depends on the relationship you have with that other person and how you want to get the ball rolling. When you own a trademark, when you've registered a trademark, you actually, to maintain the teeth of your trademark, you actually have to prosecute anybody who is potentially infringing upon your trademark. And so you essentially have to put them on notice and say, hey, I've registered this trademark. This is the class that it's registered in. And your trademark's kind of confusing. I need you to stop using it or I need you to change it in some way. And that's a cease and desist. Same thing with copyright. 
If somebody uses your photo and hasn't asked for permission and you haven't given them a license, you need to send them a cease and desist asking them to take it down or pay you to use it. And you can also do that with a trademark. You can license your trademark. So if you want to give that person permission and they pay you to use that trademark in some way, you can come to that arrangement as well. But at minimum, you have to go to them and put them on notice and tell them, please stop infringing upon my trademark or my copyright. So now let's talk about what to do if you receive a cease and desist letter. But first, I want to tell a little story. Jamie knows this story. (laughs) I do. I am going to delete some of the words that were used. And I did get permission from our client to talk about this. We're not going to give specifics for her confidentiality. But just to give you a general idea, one of our clients has a registered trademark. And it is related to a parenting blog. She is registered as a blog that gives advice on parenting, food, lifestyle, women's issues, etc. And someone was had a blog with relatively similar content that was using a very minor variation on her name, but it was her name. So she sent a letter, no response, and then had to file a claim about it to have the the other site taken down. The person responded, let's just say, very poorly and with an array of extremely colorful language. <laughs> what we're going to put out there is this is not a good way to respond. Um, if you get a cease and desist letter, the first thing we want you to do is take a deep breath. <laughs> Don't freak out. Don't fly off the handle and send something back that you may later regret. So we really do want you to take an honest look at whether or not there is a potential infringement. Then think about what your response is going to be. So we really do want you to not just assume that you are right, because unfortunately, a lot of times if somebody is sending out a and d there is some type of basis for it. So just try to stay calm. Don't assume that you are absolutely in the right. And then if you need to, reach out to an attorney for sure before you, if you're not sure what to include in your response. I think that's great advice. The the most important thing when getting a cease and desist is really taking the time to read it and to stay calm about it. They are all negotiable. You can spend time working it out with the other person. And frequently when you don't respond with colorful language... The person is much more amenable to figuring out a way to make it work. Uh, We see that a lot. There are certainly people out there that send cease and desist that sort of troll the internet a little bit looking to send cease and desists. And unfortunately, those are a percentage, which is why I think sometimes people fly off the handle a little bit when they see them. But a lot of times they are not those people and they are people who are really trying to just protect their intellectual property and that they've worked really hard for. So if you just spend the time reading the letter carefully, sometimes it is great to give a call to a lawyer who's an expert in that area, just get a little bit of advice on how to respond. Usually they can be resolved pretty amicably. And I think what you said there, Jamie, is so important. They've worked hard to build their business just like you have. Give them the respect as a business owner that you would want to receive as well. Exactly. And you don't want a name that's similar to somebody else's name. That is confusing. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. If if you did that by accident, consider it lucky that they discovered it when they did (laughs) and, you know, move on. So I think it's really important to realize that as well. Such a good point. Okay. That's a wrap on our first Legal Ask Me Anything episode. We're planning to do these periodically since so many things can change in the industry and people just have questions. So make sure you ask us any questions that you have in the HQ, which is businessease.com slash HQ to join if you're not already a member. And while you're there in the HQ, we would love to hear the best holiday gifts you got this year. 
whether it was a present or an experience or time. If you got time, just tell me because I want to live vicariously through you. <laughs> and don't forget, you can get the show notes for this episode at businesses.com slash episode 15. Thanks so much. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Business Ease Influencer Marketing Podcast. Please subscribe if you haven't already. If you like the podcast, we'd love if you give us a review in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your reviews help new listeners find us. If you have any questions, you can email us at questions at businessease.com. We'd really love to hang out with you in our Facebook group, the Business Ease HQ. To join, visit businessease.com slash HQ. We want to give a big thank you to our producer, Don Jackson of the Raven Media Group, for making us sound so very good. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you again next week. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.